We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. How would you like a free case of craft beer? Well, as a listener to our show, we'd like to thank you for listening. And with the help of our friends at Beer52.com, we can do just that. Just go to Beer52.com forward slash vision. That's Beer, the number 52.com forward slash vision to claim a free case. Beer 52 is the world's most popular monthly craft beer discovery club. They search out incredible and exclusive small batch craft beers from the world's greatest breweries and bring them back for their members. There is a whole world of craft beer out there. You don't have to drink the same thing over and over again. You don't have to order beer not knowing what you like. Just get on board with discovering great craft beer with Beer52.com. Listeners who sign up now will get to discover fantastic beers from the winners of the Raise the Bar competition. Beer52 search for the UK's best new small brewers in partnership with London Craft Beer Festival. Enjoy the likes of Unity's 7% Export Stout. Boxcars Belgian IPA, and West by Three's Mothership with Passion Fruit. As a listener to our show, you can try your first case for free. Just pay £2.95 postage. That's it. Eight incredible craft beers delivered to you, Ferment Magazine, and a snack. It's a no-brainer. There's no minimum commitment. You can just take the free case, try the beers, see what you think. If it's not for you, you can pause, cancel any time. Beer 52 has a five-star rating on Trustpilot, so it's easy to see that their members love the service. Do it now. Try some craft beer. Just visit beer52.com. That's www.beer52.com forward slash vision. And claim your free case today. Try it. Beer52.com. It is the way to learn more about great beers around the world. Offer valid in the UK only. What a In 
fascinating advancement of the theory of addition by subtraction, Arsenal proving that center backs can't be the flaw on your team if you have no center backs. This is the Arsenal Vision Post Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. It's the mailbag episode. Mailbag. That's our that's our theme song for the mailbag episode. We're gonna do a mailbag. We're gonna answer your questions. That's all we're gonna do. We will do nothing else. We will answer your questions. The answers will be concise. You will get intelligent, uh, uh, concise, clear answers to your questions. In fact, I doubt any of that will happen, but you will get your questions answered. Uh, we're going to probably try to do this on a more regular basis since weaving them into the regular show is hard. Uh, when we have a lull in the action, this is what we'll do. So let me give you a little bit of housekeeping before I introduce the uh, two gentlemen who are on the pod today. So uh, this Thursday, we're going to record a full season preview. So the questions today will probably veer away from the things like, where do you see us finishing this season? You know, uh, how do you rate our transfer business for the summer? That kind of stuff. That'll be covered in the season preview pod. We'll make some predictions. We'll look back on the summer that was and uh, get everybody geared up for what looks like an exciting season. So that's going on. Uh, after that pod is launched, we will open the entries for the shirt giveaway. We're giving away a shirt of your choice, home, away, third kit, uh, player of your choosing on the back. We will deliver it to you free of charge if you're the winner. And that promotion will be going on on the website, arsenalvisionpodcast.com. So look for that. We have a lot of stuff going on. We're doing or trying live halftime shows. We did a live halftime show for the, uh, what was it now? Lazio game. I was on that halftime show. So you'd think I'd know what game it was. Uh, Paul was as well. We'll probably do one this Sunday for the city game. And if you guys like it, Maybe we'll keep doing it. If you guys are like, this is absolute shit, which is always a possibility, maybe we'll keep doing it. So <laughs> no problems either way. Um, and then there's more stuff we're going to announce in the in the big uh, season preview show on Thursday. So that's great. So without further ado, Paul's on Twitter at Paws My Pants. Hello, Paws. Clive's on Twitter. At, well, that was weak. Clive's on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Tim is, I, I don't know, I can't remember what he said exactly, something like being given a tour of the CEO suite at the Emirates. It was, it was cryptic. I'm not sure what it meant. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Maybe he'll have something to tell us on Thursday. We'll see about that. So um, we're going to dive right in with the listener questions. And I want to throw a few out there right away. So Gerard Kelly writes on the website. And by the way, we have a uh, contact us form on the website where you can write in questions and things like that. Why did Mavropanos get so little minutes during preseason when he's our only real left-sided center back? Paul, I want to start with you before we get into the chamber stuff. And we are going to get into it. There's a lot Good. of people. I have a little. I have a little theory on it. Well, we'll come back to that. So don't go to that yet. But but the thing that's really interesting to me is on Twitter right now there are a lot of people that are postulating that Mavropanos might be the best center back at the club and he's ready and he could start and maybe it'll be him and Socrates and there's a lot of projecting about him. Why did he play so little if he is our only real left sided center back and where do you think that this this theory comes that he's suddenly ready to be the dominant central defender we need? Well, he's not ready to be the dominant central defender we need. He's he's uh, the three games he's played or uh, uh, minutes four for us as a uh, uh, as a starter. He's played at left back, and we've used holding at right back and Chambers at right back. So that kind of tells you we see him as more the left back than those two, and we need left backs because we don't d- don't really have a, a left center back. We don't really have any left center backs worth a darn. Um, so you could you can see why he may play a role from that standpoint. He hasn't played a lot of minutes in the uh, preseason, which tells you they weren't expecting him to play a lot of minutes in the first 
a bunch of games. You know, he's going he's going to get his minutes in the Europa League is where he's going to get his minutes to bring him up to speed. So they better not have an injury crisis. I think people have obviously gotten way ahead of themselves, but I share their enthusiasm for 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 him. I, I project onto him great things, but you got to prove it first. Uh, he played what a couple two good games for us last season, uh, one poor game, uh, something like that. Um, so he started brightly, not surprisingly, as a young fella, he can have a stinker. Um, I think he didn't play a lot of minutes because. The plan was really to partner partner him up with uh, Socrates because um, they both speak speak Greek and because Mavropanos needs a arm around the shoulder and communications. So we didn't get a lot of minutes because we didn't think we were going to be using him. Make, we'll talk about Callum Chambers, but from Emery's early comments, he wasn't expecting necessarily to ship him out, but he obviously had a look at him and his, his requirements and either Chambers or the fact that he needed a left, left-sided centre-back and he needed to make space for one. Uh, something changed, I think, along the way. And that means that Mavropanos suddenly shoots up the order and that's why he, we suddenly look naked in terms of the m- number of minutes he's played. I don't think we expected him to be suddenly bump up that much closer to the president's seat, the left centre-back spot. That would be my... Yeah, I mean, understood. I I just think that playing time this preseason, you would think at least at some level, indicates a level of confidence. And there's a lot of projecting out this confidence in Mavropanos. And I guess I just don't... You know, look, I remember when Rob Holding broke into the team, he looked like a world beater. And if you remember, Arson had that, uh, I'm sorry, he didn't cost 50 million quip, right? Because Stones had just gone for 50 million in the city. And, you know, within a few months of that, Holding wasn't really part of the team, and, and he's struggled to really make an impact, and there's a question about whether he's Arsenal quality at all. And I, I do think there is a little bit of the, the guy we lo- there's, there's a little bit of projection. Yes, the guy, there is. It's Tabo Rosso, right? The guy even, we've never seen is, yeah. is the best guy at the club. I mean, you, you know, he, he's whatever, 21-ish, and he's just arrived. I and mean, we've had Rob Holding and Chambers for a few years, a couple of years now, uh, Chambers even more, and we, he's been out on loan and there's lots of projection with those guys, too. I mean, Chambers started uh, last season weak and ended strong. And uh, Holding looked better at the start of last season and ended weak. So, you, you can, you know, you could group all three of them together and say, uh, we're project- projecting the BJs out of them. But we've seen less of Mavropanos. But even the ones we've seen more of, you know, nobody can... Uh, fathom anybody else's opinion on chambers i mean i there's there's at least two or three camps on chambers and there's there's two on holding so that's projection for you with with young center backs and and to be fair to young center backs there is probably the most inconsistent performing position because so much of it is reading the game mental the partners around you blah 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 yeah fair enough all right well clive obviously a, a lot of the questions we got are about Chambers. Uh, Chambers has gone to Fulham, quite stunningly. Um, now, I know he is someone you don't rate, someone you don't like. I think we could put him in the Ram- <laughs> ramsey Obama Yang category of players you don't rate or like. I'm, I kid, I kid, I love you. Hey, Clive, do you want to just take this moment really quickly to uh, announce what you announced on Twitter uh, regarding your sort of coaching career, taking taking a turn? Yeah, I'm just. Uh, I've always helped coach teams. Always helped coach adults and kids teams, but I've never sort of been in charge of a team. So, um, so are, now are you now? Do, is there something you want to tell us, or are you going to continue to be vague about it? 
yeah, just kill her. And he charged with under 18 team. Congratulations. It's you know, just a slightly different angle. Right? Just, um, I've got three or four good coaches. You're ready for be qualified coaches. And we're just Have you met go with the players yet? How they play. Were they like, oh my gosh, we're being coached by the, the star from the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast? No, they don't know anything what I do. They think I'm just a weird old man, right? I so, mean, um, I think that too. So, so, it's fine. So, um, so, yeah, it's just a, it's, I'll tell you what is good, though, because we've all got ideas on, on football. And I, although I sort of do a little bit of coaching, I don't see myself as like a great coach, but I've got good ideas on the game and analysis and understanding players and people and, and leadership. That's where my thing is, really, and developing people. Well, let's so, see how um, you handle the questions from the people. How's that sound? Yeah. Okay, so here we go. Football or not, I'm, I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to try to anyway, right? So, um, and that's what I'm looking forward to. So, yeah, it's going to be good fun. Well, good congratulations. Fun. Uh, I think it's great, and I'm sure those those young men will profit greatly from having you, uh, but from being under your tutelage, as they say. Uh, so, Al Al comes in with a Chambers question. James Ede comes in with a Chambers question. And quite surprisingly, off of his holiday, Mohamed Salah, comes in with a, a Chambers question. Uh, um, just one letter off from, from the famed Liverpool player. Or who knows? Maybe, maybe he's writing in under a pseudonym. In any event, uh, Al Al says, I don't understand Chambers going out on loan when we have Rob Holding, who clearly is an Arsenal level. Chambers is physically weak. However, he's been our best center back on recent form. Good on the ball and can play in two or three center back setup and cover on the right flank. He goes on to uh, besmirch Holding's good name and basically says... Um, He's got no pace, blah, blah, blah. Mavropanos and Chambers are better. James Ede says, if Chambers is going out on loan, but Holding and Mavropanos are staying, does that mean they are ahead of him in the pecking order? Or is it more likely that Chambers just had more interest from other teams and the others couldn't be moved? And then lastly then, and this ties it all together, from Mohamed Saleh, if the Chambers story is true, and this was written just before it was proven that it is true, he says this makes it clear that the club clearly doesn't rate him, so why won't they sell a player they clearly don't rate? So, Clive, to tie that all together, where does this put Chambers in the pecking order? Why has he been loaned, and, and why didn't we just sell him? Um, well, we could have sold him last year for between 60 and $20 million. I think it was to Crystal Palace, and we chose not to. Extended him just after the start of the season, and which I thought was interesting. And then we extended him again just recently. I think because of those extensions, people then put him into a position. And I think people want Chambers to succeed. You know, we want to see a, a young player and a young British player come through and succeed, right? So, but I do think people are looking at him with rose tinted glasses, I must admit. Um, the first thing you said there, Elliot, he's good on the ball. And isn't that typical Arsenal fans, right? We we judge our fullbacks by their crossing, and we judge our centre halves by their passing through the lines. The fact that he's he's not really as strong as he could be yet, I'll give him that. He could get stronger. The fact that his pace is um, is average. Um, the fact that when he goes into duels, he hasn't got the power. He hasn't got the the thick set power to to smash through people. He can be moved off the ball. He dwells on the ball. He's slow in possession. He can be charged down regularly. I look at all these things, and I look at our centre-backs, and I say to myself, which one of you is going to develop into a dominant animal? Well, I don't see that in him. It doesn't mean he's a bad player. I just don't see a centre-half there that says, I'm going to hold Arsenal's defence at the top, top level. Now, remember there was a quote a few months ago, I think it was by Rory Smith, and I think me and Tim quoted it on the podcast once, about our centre midfielder saying we had a bunch of three-star hotels. 
I think now in center halves, we've got a bunch of three-star hotels. I would say like one-and-a-half-star hostels, but, you know, you, you, you do you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and basically we're just looking, we're looking at them again and saying, well, and we're desperate for them to come through. So I think we're overinflating them. Of, of all of them, and I'll, strangely enough, I'll, t- I'll tell you right now, of all of them, the one that's impressed me the most in preseason has been Mustafi. I think he looks sharper. I think he looks quicker. I think he's using the ball better. And so you've got to judge it as you see it. I think he's way ahead of Chambers. So why are people people concerned? Why are people concerned about Chambers going? We've got a 26-year-old who's played in a couple of countries, played for his national team, won a World Cup, been part of a squad, played the World Cup finals. I mean, why about Callum Chambers going? You look at the teams that Callum Chambers have been linked with. We're talking about Fulham. Crystal Palace and historically Middlesbrough. This isn't Barcelona or AC Milan. Or, you know. So let's get it in perspective. Right? We need to set our sights higher. We need to think about the attributes of a centre-back. The one that's got the biggest ceiling, and this is why people are projecting higher with him, is Panos, Right? He has got the size, the speed, the aggression and the composure. He's 22, just arrived in the country six months ago. So we're not sure what we're going to get. We're not sure how often we're going to get it because he's not played more than two games on the trump. On the third game, he got sent off. But you look at the, you look at his body type. You look at him, and you say, "Wow! If you get it together, mate, your ceiling is really high, way higher than Chambers." And I, and the next one, I would definitely say Holding. And I think the reason why Holding is developing an identity. He's developing on the ball, but he has the aggression that's required. So he's added aggression to his game, and I think that's really important. Okay, he lacks the speed, and that's the issue we have. He lacks the speed, he lacks the experience. Uh, and so, go, go, ahead, ahead. go ahead. Well, all I was going to say then is, all right, so let's say I agree with you for, for the time being, and that your pecking order is right, um, and contrary to Al Al's feelings, holding maybe should be above Chambers, fine. But then... If ever there was a season Chambers was going to get playing time, it would have been this season, right? I mean, you got Socrates and Mustafi. Even if you believe in them as a first two pairing, there's Europa League, there's League Cup, there's FA Cup. Someone's going to come in as the third guy. If Chambers can't play for us this season, then the argument is he's never go- there's never going to be an easier path to center back playing time. So my question then is, and, and it's a question obviously that, that we got from the listeners, why not sell? Why are we so bad at this selling thing? Yeah, I, I, we don't know the deal, and and maybe what he what the Emery said about him being part of the future, he really means him. But for him to be part of the future, he's got to accelerate his development. The only way he can accelerate his development is by going away on loan. Going away on loan is not always a bad thing. So from a club perspective, from a business perspective, he's out there on the shop floor being looked at. So his value's going up. We've recently signed to a new contract, so when he comes back, he'll have three and a half years say on his contract which means he's got protection of the asset completely. He doesn't come back with one and a half years on his contract, which means he's in charge if he does well and basically can hang around and then get a good deal. We don't get any money back. Sometimes holding, staying, he's in a worse position because he's going to get less game time. right? So I think it's... I'd just rather see it play. You know my thoughts. I said weeks ago about left-back and left-centre-back. That side does not thrill me at all. I'd like to see two signings come in there. I think they're the most Im- important signings before we start thinking about a wide player. We've got to lock that side of the pitch, and we haven't done it yet. And on on Manfred Panos, by the way, I'm not sure where he is, but sometimes Literally. when a player is <laughs> yeah, when a player 
you know, sometimes when you're academies, right, and you're and they come up to the to scholarship, for example, they try a lot of players and they play players, and sometimes they play the ones that they're not sure about to have a last look at them. The ones they are sure about, they don't play them. They say, "Don't worry, we're not going to play in this game. We know what you're about, mate," and they leave them, right, because they've already seen them in action. I thought it's quite telling that Maverick Pounds was in our first team and our first game. I thought that was quite interesting. So let's see how this plays out. I don't think any of us know, but don't look at the, the tea leaves and, and make judgments. I think mm-hmm. I think it's a good thing for Chambers. He's going to go out and play. We don't know what's going to happen. And I heard that Holding and Maverick Pounds were all asked. I've all got loan options, and Arsenal chose this one. So um, let's see how this plays out, but we definitely do need a left centre half. Well, okay. And uh, Paul, I assume you're still here? Yep. Great. Good. I was worried about that momentarily. Uh, Well, well, look, then, I mean, the question that follows is, obviously, what do we do now at center back? And so Palab Sen uh, writes in and says, contrary to popular opinion, I believe loaning chambers makes sense. Well, not contrary to Clive's opinion, Palab, so maybe you two should hang out at Tollington sometime. Uh, But do you guys think we have enough time to land a quality target? And to that point, Simon Stewart asks, if we could add one defender before the close of the window, is it more important to get a left back or a center back, and what attributes do we need? So, do we have the time to land a target, and what should that target be, Paul? Uh, we have the time to land a target if we were already working on this, <laughs> and why we would think we would know when we started working on this, just because we just heard about this loan move. Uh, it's interesting that it's a loan rather than say a sale. That could mean we're just reacting late, and blah blah blah. We're not. We're we're scrambling and a loan's the easiest thing to accomplish and we want to keep our options open with them because we're really not sure whether we'll want them. But it could just be we need to free up some wages because of the wage cap and loaning a player is the way to solve that problem for 12 months and to build value in, in the guy so we can sell them next year. We've got lots of money in the bank, so we don't actually need fees. What we need is wages cap um some space in that so we can pay whoever we might bring in or pay for the players we have so okay none of us are accountants and even if we were we don't actually know the books but it might be a reasonable guess to say this is more about freeing up some wages cap than some than generate clearly it's not going to generate fees um in terms of you know whether we need a left back or a left center back we need a left center back uh, Monreal and Ainsley Maitland-Niles will do fine for me for two months. We've got a two-month problem on the left-hand side, and I love Monreal, and I kind of quite like Ainsley Maitland-Niles anyway. So our issues are at centre-back. We have two senior centre-backs. If either one gets injured, we have one senior centre-back and Mavropanos and Holding. So it's clear what the priority is. Yes, we could pull Monreal into play left-centre-back, now we've only got Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Jordi, Jordi Asse Tutu uh, as his backup to the backup to the backup. So yeah, I think it's a pretty easy answer. I, I, I mean, there are links to Vida. Have you been following this one? I have. And, you know, I saw him playing for Croatia. I didn't spend a whole lot of time worrying about him. He looked pretty effective and Croatia looked, you know, I mean, they got to the bloody finals and everything. So he, he can't be a, a dosser. Um You've got to be able to play a bit of ball, and apparently he plays left center back or left back, so that covers both options. So you can see why they'd want to do it. The age profile, it would be puzzling if we did that again. 
uh, almost 93% of her team would then be 29 going on 30, which is a very Arsenal thing to do. We could argue about that for the rest of the season. So, I, And um, I imagine we might. <laughs> we might. Um, it's so just, I don't know. It is really weird, right? Because with, with the Colossi-Natch injury, it looks like, a uh, uh, not super experienced Maitland Niles at left back until Nacho is back, who himself is no spring chicken. It's two aging center backs, and the guy that we might have suspected was most in line to be the young heir apparent is on his way out. We may be bringing in another aging center back to fill that void. Paul, I'll stay with you just for two quick seconds here. Oh man, v- Vignesh Venkata Subramanian. Yeah, yeah, Vinny. Uh, Vign- Vignesh Venkata Subramanian and. Vignesh, I apologize if that's not it. It's a lot of letters to read off a page, having not practiced it in advance. He says something that I, I hadn't thought about, but man, wouldn't it be just the ultimate shit show? Should Arsenal consider signing Danny Rose? I know he is from our rival club, but our left back position needs attention, and it's absolute banter if he plays good for us like Saul. I mean, Rose wants out of Spurs. Any any thoughts that, that Danny Rose would be someone worth going after? Uh, well, the star isn't very high at Spurs, and uh, I'm not sure there's a great love fest from the fans, so it wouldn't have the same emotional impact. He's, he's not even the first. In fact, the Spurs fans would probably be fine with it because they'd find, feel like they were getting one over on Arsenal, that we're finally buying their second string. So once we get over the hump with that and get ribbed better for the next three or four years, uh, uh, if he comes and plays like a like a a uh, world-class player will have the last laugh on them otherwise not so much um i don't i mean i don't think it'll happen i think we'll from a left back standpoint uh, you know i guess i don't see the need as i said before and i don't think we'd spend the, um levy likes to get uh, serious money for his players and doesn't se- sell unless he's getting ridiculous amounts of money so they might have a need, but I'm not sure we have that kind of appetite to pay for a player. And I kind of wonder how Arsenal fans would react to Maitland-Niles, who now looks like he might get a run at that position, being swept aside for another young yeah. Englishman from, like from our rival. Um, by the way, before I move off of you on to uh, Clive, Chris Mango says, topic to discuss, the length and girth of Paul's member. Um, any Anything you want to uh, contribute on that topic? Sure. Well, um, let's. You know what? No, no, let's, no, no. I, I, let's I'm not. willing to answer questions. I've got a, an ample mound. No, uh, can we not do this? Said, I, I, I immediately regret my decision. Immediately. Um, <laughs> That's the wrong man. This is the problem with just having these questions in front of me. Is I can't. You know, I can't. I really can't be uh, trusted with them. So, hey, to be fair, who else would you ask about the size of my member? That's a good question. Actually, well, I mean, presumably, I could. Ask, there are other people I could ask, but I don't speak to them. So you'd be, you'd be the easiest and most direct line to that kind of compelling information. Um, okay, so let let's go a little bit uh, further up the pitch with the next one. And Siddharth Sid asks, can we start with Torreira, Ramsey, Shaka midfield against City? Clive, the City game is going to pose a lot of questions. Torreira and Shaka just reintroduced. Ramsey not playing at all with an injury. Do you think the Torreira Ramsey Shaka midfield could show up in a four three three against City, or is there no chance of that happening? Uh, there is a chance. It all depends on so many things. I think that, I think even him, even me will say on paper that looks really good. Right? If you play him in a V, that looks really good. You know, you got you got range of passing, you got short passing, you've got playmaking, you've got positional sense, you've got energy, you've got presence. Shooting from the edge of the box in Shaka and Ramsey. You've got good looking and bad looking. 
yeah, you got. You, I like the sound of that, and I think, um, you know, I think Torreira, what he what he will do, and what why sense. We all know that he's, you know, the player we needed. Why sense? I think his work rate and intensity. I think other people will follow his example. I think he's the sort of player that you want to copy a little bit, and I think. Um, I think Shaka's intensity is underrated. I think the reason why we highlight some of his issues defensively is because he has so much space to cover because of the system that we have. So we see him at the edge of his run, the edge of his physicality. I think we have a slightly smaller space to cover with people around him, closer distances. I think he always has his better games when he's got a couple of people around him. So we can play those three and keep distances tight. I think we've got a great, you know, we, we, we're we seeing the best of us, of Arsenal, really. We're seeing the best of us in there. I think um, the only other player that I would like to see in there, and if, if for example, they couldn't quite make it, uh, Ramsey couldn't quite make it, would be Ainsley Maitland-Niles. I think I think there's a huge player in him in the midfield, and I just don't think we've, we've seen it yet, and he's coming. But every time he, he gets a chance, he gets pulled into another position or he gets pulled out of the team. I think there's a real player there. I think we saw it at Old Trafford last year. And I think we need to see more of that. We may not be ready yet, but it's real close. And uh, I don't fear the future in one of those number eight roles on the right-hand side. I don't fear it at all. I think that boy is going to be a very, very special player when, once he arrives. So, um, again, looking at City at the weekend, they didn't look sluggish, did they? They, they looked really good. I mean, worryingly, like frighteningly, yeah. scarily good. And and they pressed really well. Their transition looked frightening. I mean, but yeah. but so it makes me feel even more that it, it might we might have to go with our not quite physically ready but experienced central midfielders. But I mean, do you think that Ramsey Torreira Shaka midfield has a chance to start the game though? I mean, that Torreira played a half. I mean, he really did not look physically ready. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's got time. It's another week, and I think he may not be able to, you know, finish the game. But I think maybe we could see him start the game. Um, we're going to need that presence in there. I think City have got a very highly technical midfield, but they've got on a they've got a strut. They've got an assurance about them. They have a pattern. They have targets. And they have protection, and they use the midfield three have protection from fullbacks that tuck in, and when they get the ball, they move it quickly. They're quite agile on the ball and secure, and they've got their wing targets to hit, and so they're dangerous. When you have a midfielder that has someone to hit, you have to get to him quickly. You have to cut the source, and they give you that fear that if you don't get to me, I'm gonna give it to somebody else that's even better than me, and that's the that's the fear you walk with seeing. So I think you must have the personality to play them. I think they're very good players on the ball, but if you pick players to stop them, I feel you're going to lose. You must pick players to play them and make them do things they're not so comfortable with. And it's, that's it's what we backwards. did in the FA Cup, by the way, right? I mean, yeah. when we beat them in the FA Cup semi-final. Yeah, and what we did also, we had an efficient goal scorer that took the chances when they were required, right? So I think it's really, really important that that we have the personality to play. And to be fair to Arsenal, we have got loads, lots and lots of personality to play when we're at home. My worry is their speed in wide areas could hurt us. So we're going to have to be strong, potentially, to challenge them. And, and, and we'll see how we go. But we have got a couple of forwards that could really hurt them. Their defence is not great. 
Again, it's about having the personalities to play and making sure that their defenders are working hard. And then I think we've got a potential chance. But it's going to be exciting. I can't wait for it. Yeah, uh, one way or the other, it is going to be exciting, and there's going to be so much new stuff to discuss. I I really am fascinated to see how it goes. Um, And I I will tell you that the City game is such a weird one because it's it's an exciting chance to, I think, exceed expectations. It's one of the rare moments where I don't know that the fan base would have a meltdown if it doesn't go well, but if it does go well, it is going to... I think we're going to be in a delirium about our possibilities this season. So I went into this thinking it's a pretty high-risk way to start the season, but now I feel the other way. Paul, this is a pretty important question, so I'll let you have a quick stab at it. I mean, Shaka, Torreira, Ramsey, is it our best midfield? I think that probably is an easy answer. Is it the one we'll see against City? Um, I'm not sure the first one's that easy an answer. Um, If they were all fit and all played in, uh, it's obviously a high likelihood that would be the starters, but... Um, we're going to need cover for both fullbacks uh, with Mendy and Walker and Sané and uh, probably Mares. Um, so we're going to need some legs in the back line. And I think the other thing, as you mentioned, we've got, we've got some speed to hurt them. We're going to need a couple of guys who can ping balls over the top. And we're going to have to be press resistant and have somebody who can... You know, Chaka isn't, hasn't got the quickest feet. Um, Ramsey is not a dribbler from deep. Uh, he tends to try and one-two his way out. So he'll be one-twoing to Chaka, who'll already be covered. So I'm going with El, uh, Gwen, El Nenny, and probably Chaka as the... Uh, of Chaka, Ramsey, he's obviously currently the fittest. Potentially, uh, I guess if Ramsey comes back from his niggle, he's pretty fit. But uh, I think that's a long shot. So uh, I think it's going to be Chaka, El Neni, and Gwen. And the reason Gwen will get a look in is because him and El Neni have played the most within Emery's system. They know the triggers. They know the players around them. Uh, obviously, Gwen is able to. He's got quick feet. He can beat the press. Uh, he knows three, the guys what, around him. Three number sixes <laughs> in the midfield. Yeah. But I mean, El Neni or uh, Gwen sits pretty deep. We don't. We don't actually have a number. Uh, Eight. Well, <laughs> well there are three sixes, but Gwen can get up the field. Uh, Chaka thinks he's a a a uh, what's his term a uh, a false ten, uh, and you can easily see Chaka moving up the field because he's going to have a bit of space at that point. What he needs is somebody who can beat the dribble and get him a pass and. Gwen can do a few things. His his passing's quick. It's incisive. It's up the field. It's at angles. He can ping it over the top. It's a risk. I, I know he's the youngest guy into this, but he's also the most played in here. Him and El Nenny know the triggers and the system. Anything you pick here is a a, a risk. Torreira is, well, has just showed up and worked out how to buy peri-peri chicken in London. Doesn't <laughs> speak the language. Doesn't know any of the players around him. I don't think you can start him. I, I, uh, Axel Alex emailed us a question that I actually think has a really interesting insight baked into it, though. And he says, should we start Shaka, Torreira, and Ramsey against City as no one expects a win? Even if they perform badly, it could be swept under the we played City rug and maybe help us prepare against Chelsea. And I will say it's an interesting point that if he if he approaches this not as a preseason game, look, I'm not saying we're, you know, some some championship side playing City. We should, we're playing at home. We should give him a, a go. But... 
if you get Shaq, Atreo, and Ramsey in there against City and it doesn't go well, you know, it's not a disaster. And maybe by playing together against City, that sets them up to be ready to play together against Chelsea because you really don't want to drop points in both games. So, I mean, it's just an interesting way of looking at it. Uh, before we take a quick break... It, it is, but I think that also gives him the license to do anything a little creative. Sure. Like, for example, the crazy idea of playing Gwen against City in the first game of the season. I don't disagree, Paul. What I would say is, if it gives him license, why not take that license and use it to get your best trio more prepared to be ready to go in the next game? You know what I mean? And I, I think... That's actually a pretty interesting argument. Let me do this before we take a break. Since I'm with you already, Paul, um, and I kind of want to reserve the the more tactically astute questions for you, um, you know, so Clive's not saddled with them. Uh, Schwinn mm. from AFC Schwinn on Twitter asks, "Who's got the best hair in the squad right now?" Uh, I, I'd still go, stick with El Nani. Um, well, wait I mean, a minute. From a, I mean, isn't doesn't El Nani just have a poor man's Ganduzi? No, when you get up close, I mean, you can really see the work that goes into El Nani's hair. Chambers he's, was having a good hair summer, but he's gone. What about Ramsey? I mean, Ramsey has has just that. Oh wait, Bellerin. Are we missing an obvious yeah. option there, or is that just too uh, too kind of? And I don't know. Almost looks dirty all the time. Looks like he doesn't wash it. Yeah, he's tr- he's trying a little too hard to kind of confuse us and upset us. The whole metrosexual thing, and it's actually slightly working. So. You know where you are with El Nenny. It's it's what it is. It's tight. It's it's it's. I don't know. Word I don't know. I, I I mean, it's I, here. It's here. Oh, you nailed that one. You know what? Let's do this on that strong finish. Let's take a break. When we come back with part two, Scott will give us some answers to questions that are appropriate for Scott to answer. I actually have one for him that was sent in by Scott Willis on the email. So we'll see what he wants to uh, give us an answer to that. We'll be back with Scott, and then we'll come back and uh, finish up with Paul and Clive after that. So stay with us. Part two's on the Then she leaves with someone you don't know. But she makes sure you saw her. She looks right at you both. We are back. This time we have Scott here. You can find Scott on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. You can read his great stuff at crabstats.blogspot.com. You can read it on the short fuse. Maybe he'll be kind enough to let some of us, uh, some of it go up on arsenalvisionpodcast.com. I don't know, Scott. Maybe, maybe. Anyway, Scott's here. Hello, Scott. Hello. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And we're going to ask you some questions for the mailbag. Because why not? So uh, let's fire away right off the bat. I think obviously the hot topic we've already been diving into on this episode is the center back situation with Chambers going out on loan. Um, so I want to dive in. We got a great question from a very astute listener right off the bat. This one comes from Scott Willis. Who will be the starting center back pairing? I'm baffled by the move to loan Chambers with this group. Scott, do you have anything to tell Scott Willis? I don't know, but that seems like a, a great question, and you know maybe we should consider him having you know some time on the podcast more often. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, using the sound effects here to to good effect. Yeah, we should all just stop upping, the jokes upping the levels. The yeah, but but seriously, you you did take the time to write in, and it is a critical question. So, who's going to be the center back pairing Sunday, and what do you make of the loan the loan move? I, I, I'm I'm confused, and I, I think that's been the the general consensus of not really sure exactly what is going on there, um, because that's, that's that's always been one of the the questions is who is going to be 
at the center backs for Arsenal, especially with Koscielny out until, you know, who knows how long and who knows how well he's going to actually come back from his injury. And then you look at Socrates and Mustafi and they, they play very similar. They have similar strengths, similar weaknesses and putting them together has been a, a definite concern. I think that might end up being the, the pairing on Sunday. Um, I'd be worried about it, but I think that might be the case that we that we have. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't doubt it. I just think it's one of those moves that when you look at it critically, you say, here's a guy who had a really strong finish to last season. Uh, our center back group is arguably the weakest it has been in years. Koscielny has an injury that ends careers. It just does. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, well, we have Koscielny. I think that's jumping to conclusions. And here is a guy who you know, arguably would be in his best position since joining the club to have real minutes and out he goes. So it leaves a question that Jason Seaman uh, sent in. Great last name, by the way. Uh, maybe he can come in and, and challenge Leno and check for the goalkeeping position. Uh, I wonder if he has any relation. In any event, Jason Seaman asks, why Chambers instead of holding? Honest assessment of Kolasinac, bad or really fucking bad. Why can't he complete a pass? Uh, this is his statement. I'd rather keep a motivated Ramsey playing for a contract than sell at this point. I think it's super important to have a fast start to the season. Cheers, fellas. Anyway, let's put the Ramsey thing to one side. Start with the Chambers holding thing. Why Chambers instead of holding? What's your take on the relative strengths and weaknesses of those two? I mean, I guess one of the things that can kind of make a little bit of sense to me is that Arsenal already have quite a few of the the right-footed players and the, the one spot that they're they're short on, at least until Koscielny comes back, is the, the left-sided center back. Um, you know, you like to have a, a left-footed person there. But other than that, it's, it is it is really kind of baffling because it doesn't look like Marva Panos um, is going to be going out on loan either. So really, uh, if, you know, between the three of those, I really think that Chambers is probably the one that is closest um, to the actual first team. You know, I know Holding, you know, played some, some minutes last year and, you know, he looked good at times. But to me, he's still... He's young. He only paid 800 minutes last year, and he made a lot of those young player mistakes. And I, I wouldn't have minded him going out to a team like Fulham because I think that would be a good pot, a good spot for his level. I, I look back to what uh, Chambers did when he went to Middlesbrough. I think that really helped him. You know, when you go to a, a lower level team, you're gonna defend a lot and you're gonna get drilled on how to, to really sit deep and play the the basics of defense where with Arsenal you're not going to have quite as much of that where you know they're going to control more of the ball and some of the things that you're going to get um, tasked with are going to be more make a great play to recover for a, a, a move that's broken down so to me it almost seems like sending a, a younger player to a, a lower level team just to focus on learning the defending side of the ball is very important and it's it's kind of weird to way that things have worked out it, it is i mean I, i'm not like crestfallen about it or anything i just it, it definitely raises the question that if chambers wasn't going to get minutes this season when the hell is he ever going to get minutes um and you brought up left-sided center backs i mean i believe our socrates and and mustafi are both are they both left-footed both right-footed i you know what I don't know. I'll just admit to not knowing, but I believe they both traditionally played on the same side of the of the of the back two. So, you know, they don't necessarily make the most natural pairing. I agree. agree. Yeah, and and they both seem to do with the same things. They're both the the front foot players, where you almost want somebody who can be the the rock to let them go out and pair exactly. 
You want Perryman or, or, to sign yeah, or yeah, even we don't you know, have the last organizer, year, you know, yeah. uh, Mustafi and Koscielny. Koscielny was able to to kind of be the more reserved of the two, even though that wasn't necessarily always what he was known for. It, you know, when he was paired with Murtisacker, he was the one that was the the front foot defender. But when he was with Mustafi, he kind of let him do those kinds of things. Yeah, fair enough. Well, all right. So let's move on to another question. This one, uh, in fact, you know what? Let's stay with the defense just for a second then. So uh, this one comes from Joe Buckle. Another good name. Hello, yes. Joe Buckle. The names are great. They really are. Uh, you should have heard me struggling with some of the other ones earlier in the podcast. You, you can only imagine. Uh, he says, hi, guys. How do you see the competition at right back shaping up? We assume Licksteiner was brought in as backup to Bellerin, but could he... Instead, be an alternative to Bellerin on occasion, especially away from home. Enjoyed his bastardosity against Lazio. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, his first couple of minutes for Arsenal, and he's already trying to pick a fight with someone. I mean, he very nearly got himself into like a red card situation in his first preseason friendly for Arsenal. So uh, where do you put him in the pecking order based on, you know, Bellerin's, I think it's fair to say, uneven preseason for what that's worth, and Licksteiner's extreme experience and also really nice contribution in the build-up to the opening goal against uh, Lazio where he played the nice infield ball to, I guess it was Nelson who gave it to Awobi and then back to Nelson off the post. So any chance, as Joe Buckle asks, that he could be in for some minutes and genuinely challenge Bellerin? You know, not in my mind. To me, it's still uh, Bellerin as the the top person. And, and, you know, unless there's a, a real long run of form where Bellerin just isn't getting things done. To me, I think his spot is pretty safe. It might be the one of the safest spots um, in the the Arsenal eleven right now. Um, it, yeah, you know Lichtensteiner. He certainly played the minutes to prove it last exactly. season. Exactly. <laughs> you know, he didn't have anybody else to to really give a uh, take a spot. So yeah, to me, it really does seem like Lichtensteiner is the the backup. He'll you know spell him. You know, give him some rotation. But you know, he's also only on a one year contract. You don't really bring a guy in here to to block a a young player who you really see as someone for the future. So to me, unless things go bad, Bellerin is the guy, and I imagine it'll stay that way. Yeah, and I I tend to agree. I think, you know, the the idea, though, that Licksteiner has just come in here to be a wallflower and and be the heir to Debushi's throne. I mean, certainly based on the attitude he showed, you you kind of wonder about no, that. No, I mean, and I think he's um, going to get it, more minutes than what, you know, the other right backs had last season, or at least I hope so, because I, if you have another season like that from Bellerin, there's just no way that you can really take that and expect him to, to play at his top level. So to me, he's, he's he might get, you know, a handful of starts and, you know, more minutes to, to, you know, just to spell Bellerin, but I think Bellerin should still be the the top guy. Yeah, and I think that's probably the case. All right, so Chennai Gunner, I think it's Chennai, Chennai Gunner, uh, asks, question to the pod, if and when Ivan leaves, whom would you guys expect to take over as CEO? Would it be Raul Sayani or Josh Kroenke? You know, uh, let, let me try that again. Would it be Raul Sanlehi or Josh Kroenke? <laughs> I'll, I'll fix that okay. in post. No worries. I'll fix that in post. Um, so my, my gut opinion is that I think it might be uh, Josh Kroenke. Um, he's got some experience, you know, managing, uh, you know, the, some of the, the American teams. He's on the Arsenal board. It wouldn't necessarily, he might be a... What about his role at the Denver Nuggets, though? I mean, isn't that sort of his full-time game? You'd think so. Um, but, you know, this might be something that's more of a, um, you know, a temporary something until they're able to get somebody in. 
So I, I think that might be the the main option. Um, there could be someone else in the on the board. I, I, I can't remember the name right now, but Arsenal do have a, a COO as well. Uh, maybe that person could step up to um, you know the CEO just to, to handle some of the the day to day business while Arsenal look to bring someone else in as the the CEO. As an aside, do you think this is a, a damaging uh, turn of events for Arsenal? Well, I don't think it's great um, to necessarily lose the person that um, you know you really tasked with building the the post Wenger era because I mean he really is the person that is setting out the vision for the club right now, and that to see that person leave is not not something that you'd really necessarily want. I mean I'm I am happy with the people that he's brought in. They all seem to be. Um, well respected in the the industry, um, they seem to be the the best people that you know Arsenal really could have expected to get. So we've built a good infrastructure in the team, but the person who's out there setting the assuming he doesn't exactly <laughs> you know the person who's out there setting the vision is leaving, and that's going to put some question marks with I'm sure these people that just came in. So you know Saul and Sven, they all signed on to to work under Ivan and. You know, what if this news person doesn't have the same vision as them? Are they are they going to be safe? Are they going to start looking for a new job? Are they going to be fully committed to the the Arsenal project? So, it's it's really not great, um, just because of the uncertainty. Uh, I think more than anything, it's nothing bad has happened. And you know, not to say that Ivan was 100% perfect, because then you look at some of the the other top teams, and Arsenal really struggled to, to match them commercially. Um, and that's something that, you know, you'd really expect the, the CEO to have a, a bigger job in trying to, to bring up to par with these other teams. And I think that's probably been the, the biggest weakness of Arsenal um, among the, you know, the other teams where a CEO would be concerned. Yeah. And look, I mean, I get it from a continuity standpoint, it is bad to lose Ivan Gazidis, especially at this point, And especially given that he is, sort of the leader of the new backroom staff that he assembled, that he handpicked. I get that. That's not great. I don't think beyond this team that he's assembled, which uh, to be fair, I think is a creditable achievement. He's been that great. I just don't see it. I mean, the, the commercial deals aren't very good. He's presided over a period where there's been a lot of chaos at Arsenal. He's been protected and, and in uh, insulated from a lot of the fallout of that chaos by virtue of the presumption that Arsene Wenger had all the power at the club, but we certainly don't know that to be the case. But Paul Fowler asks, how much do you think the Gazidis to Milan situation could impact transfers in and out during the next few days leading up to the close of the window? And then he parentheses, uh, especially bigger deals that need board approval, etc. So, I mean, the signing of a new contract for Aaron Ramsey, the decision to spunk down a lot of money on someone like Anousmani Dembele, I mean, that's not happening, but you get the idea. I mean, Gazidis's questionable situation at the club leaves you wondering, will this impact our ability to decisively act in the final few days and hours of the window? I don't think so, because I think if you... Just the way that Arsenal is run, if there's something that really needs that kind of approval, yes... Gazidis is the the nominal head, but we we all really know that it's cranky that's the the final say in these matters, especially you know he's the one that really controls the board, you know controls the team i I do think we know so that? I, I, I I mean do we know that he has actively participated in any decision that's been made at the club beyond I, you the know, Arsenal and I think decision. if it's something that they need to go get more money, they need that kind of a if there if there is something that would need to you know we're going to break the budget to do this, I think that he's the one that probably was the the person that needed to sign off. 
I don't think that that was Gazinus that said yes or I mean, no. I, I, guess... I bet that it had to go to you know Cranky. When Ramsey's sitting down at a table to negotiate with, you know, club officials or his agent at a minimum, who's at the other side of that table? I don't think, you know, Stan Kroenke's at the other side of that table. I think Ivan Gazidis almost assuredly is. I mean, I think Raul Selheny, Raul <laughs> is is certainly probably the guy who who should be driving that process. But I I just have a hard time believing that Gazidis's tenuous position now and and departure, imminent departure doesn't leave those kinds of moves and those kinds of processes in jeopardy. Um, you know, maybe not, but you, yeah, you I think mean, not. I know that he's definitely going to be involved, but I think if, you know, if you're looking for something that's a, a big decision, I don't think that he was necessarily the one to, to weigh in, but again, not something that we can really know for sure. Just something that we can speculate on. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I look, I know this starts to get into conspiracy stuff, but like we're linked with a guy like Vita do you really trust Gazidis to tell you whether he feels it's the right move for the club? And look, how the fuck does Gazidis know about football anyway? Like he, he probably doesn't know who Vita is, you know, from, he probably doesn't know the, the footballer Vita from the Vita Loca. So, I mean, it's, it's fine, but hang on. You know what that needs? Thank you. Um, but anyway, I, I think we can move on from that topic, but it certainly, I think adds to the uncertainty around the club at a time when decisiveness is needed. Uh, Fidel Martin comes in with a question. And he says, we've seen in friendly games and from his previous teams that Emery likes to drop a defensive midfielder into the back line and help play out from the back. That's something that we saw pretty clearly in our preseason buildup. Do you think it's telling that Shaka didn't do this at all against Lazio, but Genduzzi did when he came on in the second half? Why do you think Emery didn't give Shaka that responsibility? And if that's something Emery thinks he isn't capable of doing, does that hurt his first team chances? So, you know, that that's part of it is that, you know, the Arsenal were in the, the 4-4-2 in that first half, trying to, to get an idea of how that tactics work. So maybe there's a different way of building up that they wanted to do uh, with the 4-4-2. Um, and then after the game, uh, Emery did talk about that he wasn't necessarily pleased with the the way that Arsenal were able to hold possession and build up during the Lazio game. So maybe that is something that Xhaka was supposed to do, just wasn't doing. He's still getting used to the the new regime and the new tactics. So I, I think it's definitely something that he is capable of doing. And I think that that's something that would suit his skills um, to be able to, to do that role. So I don't know if it's something that was not done to the instructions, something that because they were in a, an unusual tactics in the 4-4-2 over the 4-3-3 or the 4-2-3-1, where they have a, a third midfielder in there, maybe that was changing things. It's a it's something that I would have to wait and see to really before I can be able to make a, a good conclusion uh, well, when it regards I mean, to... So how do you see that midfield shaping up backs. then? I mean, do you think that it'll wind up being, uh, you know, something more like uh, Torreira, Deepest, Shaka slightly more advanced from him and then a Ramsey bombing on. Do you think it'd be more of a flat two? The thing that I noticed is that the flat two between Herrera and Shaka didn't work that well, at least in my estimation that they, they were too on plane. Is that something that you noticed? Yeah, so I, I definitely did see that. And I think that's something that Emery touched on um, post game when he was talking about how he wasn't um, 
thrilled with the way that Arsenal were holding possession in their 4-4-2, which they lined up in the in the first half of that, that game. Um, I really do think that Xhaka can do that job of splitting the center backs. Um, I also think that Torreira can do that, and it seems that that was something that he was really tasked with doing when he was with Sampdoria. Um, so I think it actually would be nice to be able to have both of them to be able to have that option, but I would rather see Xhaka have that chance because I think that would really give him more time, uh, less pressure, a little bit deeper, be able to kind of do the the quarterbacking, look up, take a beat, see if there's any of those long pass opportunities before looking to advance the ball. Uh, because that's really one of Jacka's like favorite things to do is being able to progress the ball. And that's something that the stats really show that he really excelled at was being able to be one of the, the better progressors of the ball for Arsenal. Um, so I, I, I'm still going to give him chance. He's just coming back, still getting used to the new tactics. They were trying the, the 4-4-2 that really wasn't something that has ever really been done at Arsenal in a long time. So it'll be interesting to see when they actually go with the three-man midfielder between those two guys. And you touched on something that was kind of refreshing. I mean, in the post-match comments, Emery really went into detail on his tactics and saying that, you know, this is not a shot at Wenger. I'm, I'm just saying that I liked how he referenced, you know, we were in a 4-4-2. I wasn't happy with our ball progression, our buildup in that. We we added third midfielder. We switched to a 4-3-3 that I liked the way we played that way more. You know, the, again, that is not a shot at Wenger. I'm just saying I liked the way he spoke to the tactical adjustments he made and his transparency in recognizing the challenges we had at the start of the game. And I, interestingly, I mean, Shaka did have a turnover. I don't know if you remember in that game, he, he sold the defender short with a back pass and it, it almost turned into a, a goal for Lazio. And, you know, I do wonder, you know, Shaka is not the most press resistant guy. I don't know that he's someone I want dropping between the center backs. So I do think that would have to be Torreira or again, Doozy or someone else. I mean, for all of Shaka's line-breaking passes and, and ball progression, because of his challenges under pressure, don't you think, though, that he's not a fit for the role of dropping between the, the split center backs in the first phase of buildup? It, I think it depends on what the opponent's going to give Arsenal. If Arsenal's not going to contest that, then I think he's perfectly suited for that. But if the team is going to press high, um, then yeah, you're right. He probably isn't the, the best in that role and, you know, go see if you can find some space somewhere in the midfield and let someone else, you know, either Torreira or even Ramsey, you know, a guy who can make a little bit more of a, a evasive pass um, to be able to, to break things open before it gets to Xhaka and he can try something a little bit more progressive from there. So I, I think a lot of it depends on the team that they're placing, how they're going to get faced. Um, you know, like like most things with tactics, it, it depends on what your opponent does, what he gives you, um, and don't well, always try to force what that you do. That hasn't been the case at the club for a while, so you know, I don't go jumping to conclusions. Now you're right. I mean, it, it does depend on the opponent and what they're doing. I I think that's also something we have to get used to. That Arson certainly had his favorites, the guys he liked in the roles in which he wanted them, and that tended to be fairly rigid with those guys. Um, and maybe under Emery, we have to be prepared for that not to be the case, right? Um, so uh, just two more questions really quickly. First of all, um, Mario Grau says, the midfield situation that once looked slow and not defensive now seems to be overflowing with young talent and extended contracts. Um, decide for yourself. He says, can we sell a midfielder to get a winger? And if so, who? I, I think the obvious is, well, it could be Ramsey going for a winger, but is there someone in this midfield collection that you consider to be expendable? You know, maybe someone whose role is waning and, and might be uh, a piece that we could move in order to bring in that wide player we're missing. 
I, I think really if you, you look at any of the guys that make sense to move, Ramsey's probably the one that really jumps out, but you really only have what two and a half days now to, to make that decision before, you know, his value on the transfer market goes down to zero. Um, so I guess the second option would be Xhaka, uh, but you know, you'd really have to, to be able to have somebody. I, I'm just so excited to see how he fits in with the rest of the midfielders that I, I, I really wouldn't want to sell him for, you know, a bargain. You know, if somebody comes in and offers a, a ton of money, I would definitely listen and see if you can, you know, build your midfield around there. But to me, I, I don't think there's overwhelming depth, at, especially at the, the first team. Yes, there's some exciting players, but, you know, the preseason isn't something that you're necessarily going to get the, the best read on things. You know, the games are played at a, a slower speed. The intensity is not quite the same. You're not getting the same pressing and pressure in those midfield and allowing people to look a little bit better. You know, you really want to see how people do at game speed with game pressure game, you know, actual things happening around them faster and, you know, the games yeah. actual matter. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think, uh, I, as far as needing a winger, you know, I, I understand the thought process behind, is there a midfielder we can shift to get a winger, but I don't know that you'd say our midfield is so strong that we would just naturally move someone out to address the wide position. I think you'd be, creating potentially another problem for yourself by doing that. Obviously, El Elneny looks like he could be a piece that's expendable, right? In the sense that maybe Genduzzi can do some of the things Elneny does. Maitland-Niles maybe can do some of those things. And then you have Shaka, Torreira, Ramsey, Ozil. But Elneny's not an asset that's going to bring you the money you could spend on a wide forward. So it's not, you know, it's 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 not really an optimal situation. We'll finish with the the goalkeeping situation. Wally Schooley uh, writes in: Do you think that we can play both Leno and Check and play whoever's performing the best, or do you think that's just too detrimental to their confidence? Confidence question aside, I mean, do you think Emery will have a clear first choice? It's really hard to to kind of read the tea leaves on here. You know, they both kind of split the minutes here in preseason. You know, Checks actually looks pretty good, um, you know, with his shot stopping. Because that's something that was a, a bit of a worry. Um, and Leno had some some moments where I was a little bit nervous, um, you know, against Lazio there, where he didn't look the greatest. So, it, to me, it's really almost a, a coin flip. Um, earlier in the, pre, uh, the preseason, I was thinking that Leno would be the guy. Now I've kind of come back around where I think Czech's going to be the guy and they're going to give Leno some time to, to kind of get bedded in. I mean, so if you how, had to, how do you balance the issues of distribution versus just the actual shot stopping? I mean, Czech has arguably had the better summer in terms of looking good at keeping the ball out of the net. Not that Leno has chucked him in or anything, but Leno clearly, I think, has the edge in terms of short distribution and playing out from the back. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I, I think when you look at the first two matches that Arsenal have, you know, Man City and then Chelsea, you know, I, I don't think that either of those matches, Arsenal are going to be the team with the, the lion's share of the possession. So I think that building from the back might be less of an issue. Um, to me, I think it's going to be more about controlling the midfield um, and less about, you know, really building deep. Um, I think it's going to be, can we create turnovers in the midfield? Can we create turnovers up high and attack fast from there um, to really uh, score offense from those two teams? So it'll be interesting. Um, so I think that there, that kind of, you know, leans towards check, allows Leno to get a little bit more of a, a accommodation into the league, into the team, into London. 
So that's kind of where my thinking is right now. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. To me, I, like I was saying, it's a coin flip. So Yeah, you and you could way. make an argument that you know we're still learning to play out from the back the way Emery wants us to. We're still learning you know, how to understand the, the right way to do that without just gifting the opposition goals. And considering that Man City are a great pressing team, it might make sense, even though it's not how Emery wants to do it long-term, to go back to playing long from the back for this game instead of inviting that danger uh, before we've necessarily kind of perfected playing out from the back. I mean, does that make sense to you? It, it totally does. Because, you know, like you mentioned, we are playing a completely different build-up style. You know, before um, the midfield really pushed forward when Arsenal got the ball and it was a, a task of the, the center backs to really build things up. But that seems to have changed. We're now, you know, like we just mentioned you know, a question previously where we're, we're actually seeing a midfielder drop in to, to orchestrate things instead of being more of the, the second phase of the build-up, they're going to start the build-up. So it's it's a big change from what we saw um, under Wenger. So yeah, I, I think... Every, that, everything is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to take some could, time. Could, to... Yeah, you could go either way on there, and I think that you could justify it. So to me, I, I'm not going to worry either way. I'm just going to hope for the best. It's going to take a few weeks and months for us to adjust our thinking and analysis to match this new coach and move away from you know 20 years of understanding the way Arsene Wenger thinks and, and acts and the decision-making he has. So, I mean, it may just be the case, look, we splunked a bunch of money on Leno, and he starts. That's it. He's the number one. I mean, we'll... We'll find that out sooner rather than later. So in any event, uh, the season preview pod is up this Thursday, and we certainly expect you to be a part of that, Scott. So we'll look forward to it. Until then, uh, have a good couple of days, and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Cheers. Okay, we're back. Thanks again to Scott. You can find him on Twitter at uh, O underscore that underscore crab, as mentioned. And we are back with Paul and Clive. We're going to finish strong with some great questions that we have. We'll dive right into it with Clive. And I think that this is uh, an interesting one for the attack, Clive. So Dave Carroll writes in and says, It feels that in all the discussion about our attacking, that Mkhitaryan is relegated to a squad player if Ramsey is healthy. Is Mkhitaryan really the seventh best attacking player and the odd man out? Shouldn't we be evaluating the inclusion of one player over another, their weaknesses, and what that does to someone who now has to play out of position like Ozil out wide? How do you feel about that? <laughs> well, you know me. Um, you you I feel very rigid hard. about who should be selected and that the big names get their chances? No, or, or have I, I got that wrong? Uh, no, I don't. And uh, I, I, people are in such fear. They're saying, "Oh, if if Ramsey goes, we got to get a replacement." I'm thinking we got loads of replacements now. You know, if you if you even dial back four weeks ago, we've seen two new players that we well three new players we hadn't seen before in really at the top level, which is Smith Rowe. Guendouzi and and Torreira, right? So that's three centre midfielders that were not in the equation just like a, a month ago we hadn't seen. And so and then I've always felt that Mikatarin could play slightly deeper and and be that sort of one of those number eights. If if uh, David Silva can do it, I'm sure he can do it, right? He works hard, he presses hard, and he can transition. So I've never been worried about the centre midfield spot. I'm much more concerned about how we supplement the wide areas up front and have a different type of player playing on the right-hand side in particular. Right? So, so yeah, I'm not concerned, Ella. You know how I feel about this. right? It's about players producing and players getting selected on what they do, 
not on what they say and not what they can leverage from their contractual situation. If they play well and can stay fit, I'm going to support them. And I, if they can play within a structure, even better. But as long as they can go out in these top, top games and dominate their opponent, and trust me, I will not stop waxing lyrical about them. It's about what you do. I think sometimes, and I've, I say it all the time, I think we have got very high um, expectations of our own players. I think we rate them too highly. And people were concerned about, say, Ramsey, for example, 30, 35 million. And people are going mad because, what, it's 50, 60? I'm thinking, is that really the case for a player that only played 21 league games last season? And I'm looking at Shaka, who gets a lot of stick, who's always plays, produces, plays in the World Cup, very rarely injured, top-level player, a leader. I knew he'd be one of the five captains. And I, I look at that and I think, yeah, you'll you're do for me. You'll do for me. You've got your weaknesses, but I like your approach to the game. And so, yeah, and he's got to now fight for his spot, and I'm sure he will. And I hope Aaron Ramsey does when he, when he has his moment. And if he fight for his spot and he buys into the whole collective, I'll tell you what, I'm right behind him. Fair enough. I mean, I, I obviously agree with that. I don't see how you could disagree with that. I think that the question that has to be answered in terms of balance is, when Mkhitaryan plays, I think he provides us more in transition than Lacazette. Um, but obviously Lacazette adds goal scoring, and he seems to have a really nice understanding with Aubameyang. I think against teams where we're going to play on the counter and transition more, I, I think Mkhitaryan provides a little bit more of that capability. We saw it actually with him playing in midfield a little bit uh, in our last preseason game and the way he's able to pick the ball up and drive through the midfield. He had one really nice uh, transition where he carried the ball all the way into the attacking third. And we don't have a lot of players to do that, that will drive at defenses like that. And you know, the problem with Mkhitaryan is I said it on online. I said, he's like, we call it, he's like a box of rebels, right? You put your hand in and you're not sure what you're going to get out. I think some days you see exactly that. I remember the run you you spoke about. I looked at him and thought, wow, that's unbelievable. Look at the speed of him. Look at, look at the separation he's getting. And then another day, he's just not there for 20 minutes. He's just not there. And we haven't quite cracked that. He really has hot and cold about his game. But when he's hot, his level is right at the very, very top. He can do many things. I mean, he's right close to the Urzel level, in my opinion, on technical ability. He's got the ability to finish off both feet. He's got sprinting speed and aggression and transition over distances. He can go and tackle. I mean, you look at him when he's hot. There's not a lot he hasn't got. He's got set pieces. He can he he shoots with venomers or sort of passes the ball. He never never quite kicks it hard enough. This guy can just do it. Then another just when you're falling in love with him, he disappears for forty five minutes, and he gets substituted. And I think that's what he's got to fix. He's got to be more consistent. And when he does that, he'll be trusted. More. Yeah, the thing that surprised me about him when he first arrived is I thought he would be a very clean technical player, and he's actually not. He tries a lot of things, and some comes off, and some don't. And sort of Alexis-y in the sense that he he will give the ball away, um, but he will also attack defenses in a way that we don't necessarily have a lot of players that do. I mean, Wobi will also, by the way, a player not getting a lot of mention, but we need players that are going to attack defenses like that. Um, Clive, it, it sounds like you're more... gearing up. Yes, yes. Yeah, one more thing. Sorry, mate. Uh, Erzul Mikatarian, both 20, 29. Yep. The future of them. I think will Mickey's not... already 30, but y- either way, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, they're still very similar age. The future of them will not be on the, on the high line. They will want to naturally drop back. They will not be running through lines anymore. 
that they'll naturally want to come to the ball. And I think, again, when we talk about the whole centre midfield thing, I see their future as being deeper. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of time before they transition. Ozil's already done it for Germany a couple of times, been one of the two eights. Mkhitaryan did it for Manchester United before he came here. And my friend saw him, so thought he was brilliant. Man United fans, friends of mine, thought he was brilliant in that role. The future of that eight role is is well stocked. I think it only alludes to the fact that we need more devastation and speed up top, so we have those options. Yeah, well, that's what his money Dembele is going to provide. Area. Don't worry, Clive. Once Dembele shows up, I'm, we're going to be fine. Um, I'm, I'm, ready, I'm ready and waiting. Ready yeah, and waiting. perfect. Uh, Paul, we're running out of time with you, unfortunately, but I, I want to give you a, a swing at the Mickey question as well because I know he's a player that you have a lot of strong feelings about. Yeah, big swing in Mickey. Um, <laughs> I would say McTarn's been very questioned over the preseason. Uh, He probably fits the profile, hopefully, of the pro who's kind of trying to peak when it's time to to show what he's got. And I think he did that in his 20-minute outing against Lazio. Uh, He was the best player on the pitch for that last 20 minutes. He just lit it up. Um, Now, maybe it was against a tiring Lazio, but, you know, you can only judge so much in preseason. If ever there was a player that needed it in preseason, it was him, based on what his previous cameos had looked like. Yeah, and when you try and interpret Emery's comments about the the second half was more the lineup that was going to face City, you still got to interpret which second half because there were kind of two quarters to that second half. But I'm hoping uh, it was Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan could probably do a a pretty good Ramsey impersonation as that third midfielder, the eight you're talking about. uh, If Emery wanted to do something creative, totally agree. By the way, Yeah. yeah. And uh, But I do think we should also, we, we cut a lot of players slack out there for various reasons. I mean, you could definitely cut Mkhitaryan some slack over uh, coming through the mauling he got under Mourinho for, well, two years um, or a year and a half. And then coming in under the, the cloud that was Arsenal for the last six months. And now he's got a new manager trying to understand his role while... While that manager spends most of his time trying to work out how Obama Yang and Lacazette might work together. Um, so I think we should be patient with Mikatarian because he's obviously at his best a great player. As Clive says, he's inconsistent, but he's probably a lot more consistent than that when he's felt loved, backed, has has a bunch of good performances about him. So if he's 50-50 in terms of what he contributes in games, he could easily get himself to 75 or 80%, I said, projecting more onto him. Um, I do think he's the written-off player uh, going into this season. And I guess I'm hoping and praying, you know, if it's not this year, I don't know when it is, because as, as we said, he's 29 going on 30, maybe even 30. So hoping for big things. This could be. This is a game he should be up for and he should be playing in. If he's not, if he's not the guy to be given uh, City conniptions with Aubameyang to his right or left, uh, I don't know who is. And to be clear, if he's 29, he will be 29 until he's 30. But if he is 30, he will be 30 until he's 31. And we want to be very clear about that. Paul has to go, but before we go, I do want to get a question in for you because I'm going to ask it of Clive as well. Oluwasepe? Oluwasepe? Ali. Ali. Olu. Abagunde? And I apologize profusely. And an Abagun day to you, too. <laughs> Paul, Paul is here for disrespecting other cultures. I am not so much. Uh, and, Paul, you're going to feel bad because he said uh, he's listening from Nigeria and he loves the pod. So, you know, oh. maybe not Hi, you so Ollie. much. 
in any event, uh, he does write in, and I think we can just take a pause from all of the intense scrutiny of the game in the moment and says, uh, who is your favorite post-invincible player? Out of a top five, mine is Sesk. Uh, Paul, who's your favorite post-invincible player? Sesk. Sesk? Might be a popular view with half of our our guys out there, but come on. Uh, of, of all the players post-invincibles, what guy brought the most passion surging through your veins at the zenith? Now, it may have unraveled a little ugly afterwards, but... Uh, and, and if and if it can't be Sesk, it's Kazorla. You want to take a guess at who mine is? No. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Do your own bloody work, you lazy bastard. Giroud. Um, so, all right, in any event, Paul's got to go. He's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. We're going to stick around with Clive for a little bit, but Paul will be back for the big season preview pod on Thursday. I'm looking forward to it. Paul, have a great rest of your day. We'll chat with you Thanks, Thursday. Guys. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Um, no, all kidding aside, mine is Sesk as well. Uh, Clive, quick quick stab at it. Who's your favorite uh, post-invincible player? Uh, you know me. I'm, I'm a pragmatist. Right? I think, fair enough, I think it's Lauren Koscielny. I think um, if you buy a player like that, he's held our defense together for eight, nine years. I just, think I just want to ask him, the listeners real question. Is that a bad answer or the worst answer? Uh, <laughs> no. I just think, I look at the team and... and just try to imagine Arsenal's team without him for these last few years. Right? Oh, yeah. This is a guy who's had to start next to Squalacci and Mikel exactly. and, and uh, uh, Armand Traore. <laughs> He's been, think of the team that player. was around him. In that br- I just think of Koscielny in the Birmingham City uh, League Cup final, and I can't help but feel for him. Yeah, he made a mistake, right? So, um, but, but, yeah, he is such a crucial player for us and uh, allows everyone else to fly. So I would, my other answer was going to be fan of a player I really liked for the time he was here. Just admire his technique was, was Robin Van Persie. I just thought he was absolutely fantastic. An idiot, but what a fantastic Can, can I talent. tell you what's weird? I can't forgive Van Persie, but I have no problem forgiving Sesk. Is that weird? Is, is, is yeah, that, it's, 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 is it's that how the story presented to you. And you just feel that generally one person is really a bit of an idiot and the other one was an idiot for a short period of time until he got his move back to his home club. I mean, what can you really say, right? So, um, so yeah, but Van Persie, purely technically, and what he did for that season and a half, two seasons, was right at, he was the best player in the league and we had him and he was just tremendous to watch. And um, his technique was flawless on his left-hand side. So, yeah, what a player. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Van Persie, too, is he was injured so much that he really only had about a season and a half where he was able to be at the height of his powers. And then he fucks off and wins United a title. Um, it, it was hard to stomach. Sesk, I mean, he was... I, I think he was the best player in the Premier League for years. And he... He just took that group of garbage and turned it into something special. And in a couple of those seasons, the 07-08 season, he was staggering to watch. Just yeah. breathtaking. Um, and I look, this is the kind of stuff you can't prove right or wrong. You can't. You can tell me I'm wrong. I don't care. You can't prove it. I believe Cesc Fabregas loved Arsenal Football Club and continues to love Arsenal Football Club. And I bet if he could go back and do it again, he would have done it differently. You can't prove me wrong on that. I... I have a hard time blaming him for wanting to go back to Barcelona where he was a child, where he had family, where he had friends. I don't know that I don't know enough of the details about how he went about doing it. There are people who will tell you he went on strike and they claim they know all the information. Be that as it may, he went home. Van Persie held us over the coals to go to Manchester United to win a title 
I mean, it was mercenary in the extreme after we had put faith in him during a long period of, of injury-riddled play. After Arsene had really taken him off the scrap heap from uh, the Netherlands where he was a bad influence, where he had kind of a rotten personality and was a problem guy who may have been, you know, tantruming his way out of football. So, I don't know. I, it just, it strikes yeah, me. Char- it's, we're not questioning, you know, it's, it's not a character discussion, right? It's a character discussion. There is no debate. If from a football talent perspective, I really enjoyed Van Persie when he was the best player in the league, playing for Arsenal. I thought it was great. As I enjoyed Cesc as well. You already chosen Cesc, right? So I chose somebody else. No, no, no. And, <laughs> and by the way, I, I mean, I, I, I have some friends that I, you know, uh, chat Arsenal with who, you know, think Van Persie is the best player of the post-invincible era. Best and favorite are two different things. So, yeah, exactly. exactly. You know, I, I, yeah, go, go ahead. You want to finish I, up on I that? wouldn't. I wouldn't invite Van Persie to 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 a Christine or nothing like that. I think he's an idiot. But when he played and when he led us, he was just fantastic. But that whole team, that 2008 team, had something special about it, didn't it? And a lot of young players growing together, technically growing together, really leading a team way before they should have been leading a team. And um, it, was, it was great to watch. And Van Persie, Cesc, Kleb, Riziki, all part of that group. Diaby, wonderful players looking back. And um, they, never, they never quite got what they deserve, but, you know, great memories for me, great memories. Yeah. It, it's incredible that you can have memories, great memories of players during a period that led to a lot of frustration and angst and consternation. So, you know, it is good that we are able to look back with maybe a little bit more rose-tinted glasses as time goes by. Um, Josh Lovorn. Uh, writes in and says, if Welbeck and Perez go, and they have been given permission to go, does that give Nketiah a glimpse, or should he seek a loan? Um, the, the latest news that Welbeck has been told he can go, Perez looks like he may be going to West Ham for $10 million. Is Is this a little crack in the door for Nketiah to come in and, and play some minutes in the Europa League and League Cup, or should he go out? Yeah, he should stay. He should, and Nelson should stay. I mean, also, you know, let's give him a bit of praise here. I, I read last year they had the most minutes, academy minutes of any team in the Premier League. Was given I mean, out to be fair, year. that's because 147,000 minutes went to Hector Bellerin. Uh, potentially, and we, had the, and we had the Europa League, so we had the opportunity to do it. True, the yeah. group stages were not very strong. And and they're looking to do it again, and I think it's good. Well, I think it's really good. When we spoke about this new team of people coming behind the club in Missantat, etc., we sort of suspected they would be a, a, a top-and-tail type approach where you get an experienced set of players to position us, and you buy a younger set of players and, and promote people up. And so you've almost got a, a very young group and a, and a slightly 29-year-old group. And and that's exactly what's transpired. We bought a couple of 29-year-olds, or 34-year-olds, and we've got this younger group. And we've added to it, and we've seen a couple of players come forward. It's a very exciting young group, but we don't know where they're going to end up. But what they do look like, when you look at them, and I've said this before, they look like they can cope physically, and that's a big thing. I felt in the past some of our young players have been talented but weak or small and could be bullied and lack a bit of personality. When I watch Maitland-Niles, who's, okay, he's 20 now, just walking up and chipping penalties down the middle, he's developing a personality to play exactly what he needs. And so does Nelson. It's not about talent. It's about believing they belong. You know, and that's what Gwen Doozy has. He believes he belongs day one. And they'll and these guys will follow that lead and we could get another set of youngsters, much like the two thousand eighteen, where we had a group of like twenty two, twenty three year olds that really shook the league. You know, and Sesk was the real sort of technical leader of that. In two, three years' time we could have that again 
with a set of players that have got a lot of experience. And I'm, I'll tell you what, I praise the club for for creating those pathways for those players. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I just, you know, it's interesting because they're, the one thing Europa League is really going to give us is a chance to develop young talent. Because as we saw last season, you can get through that group stage pretty effortlessly. I mean, for the most part. And League Cup gives you that too. And so suddenly there are chances for these younger players to start to carve out a first-team career. And given, as you point out, rightly point out, the age of the senior options, especially up front, you know, with Aubameyang, Ozil, Ramsey if he's sticking around, Mkhitaryan, and to some extent Lacazette, the Nelsons and, and Nketiahs of the world have every chance this season to show that they can kick on and, and be an option for when those guys age out of the squad. So, yeah, yeah go ahead. Okay, okay, injured, Elliot. You know, it just, we were, we were buzzing about preseason, and suddenly we get... Colosina go down for 10 weeks. Ramsey get a car strain. These things just come out of the sky, right? And and now people, many people are thinking we're going to have a 19-year-old French kid playing in certain midfield against the, the league champions that we finished 34 points behind last season. So that can happen. That's how quickly football changes. And a few couple of weeks ago, people were saying Smith Rowe's knocking on the door. And he's just turned 18. It changes in an instant. It really does. And it's all about what you're doing at that moment in time, and can you take that opportunity? And I think people are trying to get to conclusions from these young players. I'm looking at Nelson, and I'm looking at Maitland-Niles, and I'm looking, if you still count Iwobi into this, I'm looking at them, and I, I just, you can see there's more to come. There's so much more to come. And the moment, they're going to have a, a they're going to have their game this year when they announce themselves it's going to be a Europa game or a, a League Cup game they're going to announce themselves really announce themselves or you know we're going to have an injury crisis they're going to come two or three going to come in at the same time I, I really feel strongly the talent is there and they just need that moment where they can get some belief yeah I, I, I agree with that I mean I think ultimately the the thing that makes me so concerned about this Chambers loan you know bringing it back to that is that when you have the Europa League, when you have the League Cup, when you have the first, you know, fourth round of the FA Cup, and then, you know, the odd Premier League opportunity, youngsters are going to have a chance to play. And I think you are always better off in modern football developing your young players at home instead of on a loan. And we saw that as clearly as can be with Nabry, for example, who went out to West Brom and <laughs> basically never came back. Um, yeah. And that's what happens when you send someone to Tony Poulos, especially an attacking player. But, you know, if Chambers isn't in the plans this season at Arsenal, in a season where he so clearly could have had playing time and meaningful playing time, then to me that looks like giving up on him. And then I say, why, why the fuck do we suck at selling? You know, what? why can't we get rid of players? And I, you know, I, I think... Uh, some of that is wages. Some of that is wages. I think we we pay way too much. Right? And so, you know, you know, Jack Wilshere sort of went quiet for a little while before he went away mm-hmm. this year. He was waiting for his loyalty payment to walk out the door, right? And it's like... Lucas Perez, he's, he's probably going to have to take a, a cut in wages to go wherever he goes. And so Arsenal going to have to pay him to go. Right there, and, that, and that's what happens. I think the way we negotiate our wages is really poor. I think we overpay people too soon. And what that does, that impacts our ability to sell. Because the buying club will say, well, I'm going to offer you this much. I've got to cover that ridiculous wage you've just given him. And that's why we look like we are we are not selling at value. Other clubs don't pay as high, so they can then maximise the return. Right? So we don't do that. So what we're doing with Chambers, I actually think is the right thing, because he's got a long contract now. So when he comes back, 
he will still be in a good contractual position. And so if you watch how Chelsea do it, they never loan a player without them signing a four-year contract first. They never do it. What do we do with Gnabry? Loaned him out with two years to go. He came back and basically I had one year, got injured, walked out the door for nothing. Yeah. Right? Or barely, just about nothing. And I think we just don't look after our assets. So what we're seeing now is different behaviours. We spoke about the buying behaviours that we're seeing. And we said we haven't seen those selling behaviours yet. But what we have seen is a number of people sign contracts, which is very Spursy and very Chelsea-like. And I think that's the change in our strategy. Secure the assets, sign them up, give them a slight pay rise, but we control you now. So now we're going to loan you, and when you come back, there's still plenty of time. Or we need to build you as an asset either for us or for selling. Because what we're doing at the moment, we're giving assets away for nothing because we've got poor contract negotiations up front and we've left them run too long and we're not in a strong position to basically maximise things. And So I'm hoping this is a change in our strategy going forward now. And Chambers is probably one of the first examples of that. And Arsenal fans right now are not understanding what's happening. I think this is good. We've got to watch this and see if it happens again. He won't be signed a contract. Who's to get? He may be out again on loan. We don't know. He could be a player. He could be going out on loan. We don't know. But we've got a young, homegrown player secured. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, and, and I want to give credit to Taz Jamie who who wrote in and, and basically said, why are we so diabolical when it comes to selling players? And other clubs offer so ridiculous bids for our players. I mean, it is weird, right? Like, We'll get like a two million pound offer for a player, and then Willian is apparently a sixty million pound player, and Liverpool's third choice keeper is twelve million pounds, and their fourth choice striker is twenty four million pounds, and then like Lucas Perez is going to West Ham for like magic beans. It it is a little bit strange. I you think. know why? Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Um, because we've we're a team that has been seen in decline, and so the players that we don't want are seen as less valuable than a team that's on the ascendancy? Exactly. We're not trusted. We're not trusted. So when you go to Arsenal, I said before, there's like a last of tax. We're not trusted. So anyone that comes there doesn't hit the first team is seen as a failure, whereas like potentially Everton could buy Marcus Rojo for £20 million. Well, I've watched Marcus Rojo kick it in his own net for two, three years, yet May United still can save for £20 million. Why is that? Why do May United have that sort of premium on top even for players that fail significantly and it's back to that lack of trust within Arsenal the, the flakeness how we're seen as some as a team that's not really ambitious we need to change our identity and, and, and I think we'll see that come back in our sending strategy so I think what we're doing this year we're buying a lot of competitive players at the top end that really want to fight for the show I think it's really good I think we're going to see a change in edge and intensity we may, I can't guarantee, like anyone, I can't guarantee the results. But hopefully we can change what else we stand for. I think we've become very soft and comfortable, a place where you come to retire, right? And because of that, when you leave Arsenal, players don't want to leave because the money's so good. And when they do leave, their ambition is, is, is taken away because they've got too much money in their bank account. And that's why our, our sort of value is not being seen in the selling side of things. Yeah. All right. Well, let's finish on this then, Clive. Um, because on Thursday we're going to sort of preview the season, so we're not going to talk so much about the game. But obviously it's a big game on Sunday. It's the opening game yeah. of the season, which is exciting, but it's against the champions. And so, you know, I, I got a lot of questions about people. What do we expect? We'll just pick from uh, Ronak Park, Parek. Ronak? Parek. 
I, I hope that's right, Ronak. Thank you for uh, writing in. Someone will tell you anyway. Don't worry about it. I'm, look, I'm messing up the same number of names this episode as usual. It's just listener names instead of player names. So in some ways, listeners, that's like you're a player for Arsenal. Uh, take the Arsenal team against Chelsea, same lineup, same tactics. And take the Man City team against Chelsea, same lineup, same tactics. How will this Sunday's match pan out in terms of key moments and scoreline if these two teams, as we saw us play Chelsea and Man City play Chelsea, uh, if these two teams face each other. Now, I'm not going to pen you into that sort of that setup, but basically, does the way we played against Chelsea and the way City played against Chelsea give you sort of insight into how you think we'll do against City? Um, I think I, I have a slightly different angle on that one. I think what Guardiola is doing and what we saw in the World Cup, I, I've, I've had a change in thought process around what happens in midfield, and particularly, and what happens up front. I think... Um, how City controlled those central areas to me is just stunning. And um, I think they're developing a different type of midfielder. And I always felt when I was growing up, not so long ago, when Patrick Vieira arrived, I felt he reinvented centre midfield. That tall, rangy, almost two players in one, win every tackle, can beat you off the dribble and can play through balls. Right, So I could also head it out of his own box and head it in your box as well. The unbelievable midfielder, but I think midfield play is changing. I think um, it's moving more towards the the Santi Cazorlas, the the Terreras, the the Phil Foden, the David Silvers, the the sharp movers, the sharp thinkers. People have got an early picture. You can just one say touch- short people. It's fine. Yeah, as one the myself, world. I'm happy happy to see the world finally embracing us. You know, and it's all about one touch. One touch. Move it through the area. You're just a conduit to somewhere else. One touch, round the corner, really quick, support play, press the ball out of position. It's just become faster, more intense, and it's more technical. And the best teams have a number of those players in those areas. And they are taking those tens and they're making them eights. And that's where the game is going. And you've got speedsters up front, people who can devastate back lines because defenders today are ex-forwards and they can sprint. And so you've got to be able to have that ability to push them back. I think the game is changing. And I think what we're doing in there in centre midfield, I like. I like. I really like. What City have done, I like. They're creating a positivity and a go-forward about their, their team. What Chelsea have done with Jorginho, I like that. They're not whining about dogs anymore like Vieira and Keane. They've got Fabregas and Jorginho and they're looking after the ball. They've got early pictures. They've got range of pass. The game is changing in there. It really is changing. You've got to have wing mirrors on and you've got to know what's happening. You've got to be able to look after the ball. And so the players that we used to value, ask yourself, are they going to take us forward in the modern game? Are they technically secure enough? And Can we technically manage the press and the intensity that City are going to put us under? Or do we get our heads down and lose the ball? And if you're one of those players that maybe you don't belong at a top six club, you know, you've got to ask yourself that question or you sit at a base of a team where you've got everything in front of you. But even those players now are becoming really, really technical. So the game is changing and I, I'm glad to see Arsenal looking at players that are changing like that in centre midfield areas. And we've got a number of coming through that can really look after themselves in the football. And, I, and that's what I'm looking forward to seeing on Sunday. Can we manage the intensity and technical in centre mid? Can we manage it, the speed and intensity they will play at? I think we can... But goals change everything. It's about executing. And we have got a couple of special forwards that can challenge any defence. And I think, much like Spurs, 
a lot of goals are a lot of sins, sorry, are hidden by Harry Kane's goals. I think we're going to get a lot of sins in Arsenal's team this year, hidden by what Lacazette and Aubameyang do this season. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. It's what what we've been missing is someone that can turn a game when maybe we don't even deserve it, and I think certainly Aubameyang can do that. Um, so stop flirting and tell me what the score is going to be. Um, I think it's going to be two-two. I think we're going to we'll concede, but I think we're going to get a really good draw. I think at home we're good. Okay, it's a new season, but you know, Emery's first home game, the place is going to be absolutely rocking, right? So I see us scoring a couple of times, um, but I also see City scoring a couple of times. So 2 2 will do me. Go to Chelsea, sort them out. And I'm going to West Ham, actually, so I'm looking forward to that. So can't wait. Yeah, I, I think that's great. Look, I, I would take 2 2. I'm going to, man, I don't want to start the season off as, as a. Nervous Nelly is the pessimist guy. I promise you, you're going to hear some optimism from me in the season preview, but I do think this game is a little beyond us. I could see it being 2-1 City. And my argument would be, this is where them being a purring machine under Pep and us being a work in progress under Emery is going to come back to bite us. The thing I think you saw so clearly in the Chelsea City game is you had a Chelsea team still trying to integrate the ideas and... and, um, Set and play with the ideas that Sari is trying to establish there, right? You could kind of see yeah. their brains working, the gears turning as they try to figure out how to play in this new system, whereas City just slipped into it effortlessly again because it's now, you know, year three under Pep. For us, I think we yeah. may have the same problem. I think we'll have bright moments in the game, but I think their comfort level in his system and us still kind of learning each other and learning our system and the way Emery wants us to play and a couple new pieces might just make the difference. But look, I certainly hope yeah. that's not the case. Um, I'll finish up with All a question right. for, yeah, f- final words. So I want to, I think the night we played City after the, the, the Carabao Cup final, that midweek game and where the crowd was empty and we got smashed, I think that was a night when it all ended for Wenger that night. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if we played City and sorted them out this weekend? And this is the day that Emery's reign started and it started on the positive. That's what I'm hoping for without any sort of analysis, just a, a hopeful thought. I wouldn't rule it out. It certainly annoys me to see how quickly their players who were at the World Cup came back and were integrated like that. You know, they're like, oh, we're going to have a week inside, you know, City. Great time to play City. They'll be weak. And I look at their front four and it's Bernardo Silva, Silva, Cunaguero, uh Wasane, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, they're just they're ridiculous. Oh, Riyad Mahrez, yeah, it's 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 worrying. Um, yeah, they're struggling. Yeah, of course, I've got a feel for them. In any event, uh, finished with this. Beardy McBeardface asks: Is our transfer strategy to get rid of the handsome players and replace them with a team made up of cutoffs of sloth from the Goonies? Look, I um, I I think it's going to come down to what happens with Ramsey. And look, if Ramsey goes and Vita comes in. I think we have to assume that's the case. So, you know, that that remains to be seen. Last but not least, Eric Garza asks, any chance you guys will ever do a recording with a live studio audience? I think live shows are tons of fun. Uh, I have been to them. I have listened to them. I really enjoy them, and I would love to do them. The small matter of an ocean separating the the crew, (laughs) but certainly uh, should we ever bridge that gap geographically, I think it would be an absolute blast to uh, have a pint together or several and do a show live. So, you know. We'll keep that possibility know. open. You never know. You the world's never a place. In any event, we have our big, huge, massive, action-packed season preview episode uh, coming up Thursday. It'll be recorded. should be out Thursday evening and all day Friday. Great way to get the season started, and then uh, we will open up our, um, 
personal shirt giveaway. So that'll be fun. In any event, uh, Clive's on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Look forward to talking to you guys after the season preview pod. And uh, until then, come on, Aaron Ramsey. Sign the contract. Sign the contract. Cheers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.